0: 1 Corinthians fifteen one through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey, Taproot, good morning. morning. How are we doing? Just because I'm feeling froggy. Buenos dias. ¿Cómo están? Así, así. Así, así. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. uh, All right, now I'm just kidding. It's good to see you guys today. Welcome. Uh, My name is Luis Castellanos, and I'm one of the pastors here. And, I mean, it is really good to see you. If you are visiting Taproot for the first time, welcome to our church. Uh, Behind each chair, you will find a little connect card. If you've never filled one of this out for us, we invite you to do so today. This will help us to know that you are here. It will help us to know how we can pray for you, how we can serve you, how we can get you connected. You can grab those once you fill them out. Drop them off into the given boxes on the walls in the back, or drop it off by the connect desk in the foyer. And again, if you're visiting with us today, welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, Today's a special day. Uh, last week, we finished our, uh, this is a mouthful, summer sermon series. Too many S's, summer sermon series through... Through the book of James, and it was a great time. It was a very timely, very convicting, just a great series. And uh, today, and for the next three weeks, we are going to be preaching through what we are going to call our core convictions Taproot Church's core convictions. So the question then would be why are we doing this? Why are we going to preach through these? So let me try to answer this question like this. The past year and a half, has been quite unique in the life of our church. Uh, in June of 2017, we installed and added two new elders to our elder board. In late November, we sent out Dan Braga, who was our lead pastor, and his family to help plant a church in San Diego, in February, my family and I moved up here from Oregon to join the Taproot family and for me to serve here as a pastor. And in April, after years of being a mobile church, we occupied this building. We celebrated Easter as our first gathering in this space. So listen, major leadership transition and building move. These are two things that nobody, no expert would recommend that you would do these back to back but we did. And to top things off, we did it right before a Seattle summer. This was something I was quite not prepared for, the great Seattle church summer exodus. (laughs) We have the best summers in Seattle. So people take advantage of it. They go and enjoy them, which is really cool. But it was a shock to the system every time you'd walk into church on Sunday and it was bare bones. So now it's fall. We know that because of Starbucks and their pumpkin spice lattes. Schedules and routines and rhythms seem to be normalizing and it just seemed Right. It seemed like a good time for us to answer or start answering some questions that we know are on people's minds. Now, the questions that seem to be on people's minds are maybe these are a couple of them. What now? What are we doing? Where are we going? What are we about? Now, if you've been around Taproot for a while, Help me out here. Show of hands. Who has been asking themselves some of these questions? Anybody? A few. (laughs) There you go. Okay, now with this sermon, with this sermon series, our core conviction series, we want to start answering these questions. Now, as an elder team, we started discussing these things and praying through these things back in April, and we are really excited. Well, let me say this as we begin, as we launch into these things. These convictions are not things that we have arrived yet as a church. What these convictions are, are things that we want to pursue deliberately and purposefully. These convictions are about who we want to become as a church, and they will influence everything that we do practically. Practically. Now, let me get this out on the table as well. These sermons will not be exhaustive. They can't. What we hope they are is springboards and launch pads into more and more conversations. Now, you will see as we get going that these core convictions all complement each other. They all build upon each other and they all work together. What these core convictions, these next few sermons, are meant to do is they are meant to set us on course. They are to point us in a direction so we can start moving forward, and as we move forward, we will continue to flesh these convictions out into more and more detail. Does that make sense to you guys? Tracking with me? Some of you? All right. (laughs) Well, let me pray, you guys, and then we'll get started here. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I, um, I pray that this morning that Jesus would be the centerpiece. Help us to see Jesus clearly. As we think about and talk about the gospel, let it affect us, God. Thank you for your word, the Bible. Speak to us, God. Let us see wonderful things in it. Draw people to yourself, God. Do the work that only you can do. You know every circumstance in this room. Meet your people. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so our first core conviction is the gospel. Taproot Church will be a church where the gospel is central in everything that we do. Earlier this summer, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Andrew Arthur, uh, say something that since he said it, I just can't get it off my mind. And this is what he said. And what I want to use this side is I want to use this as our big idea for this morning. This is what he said. He said this, in order for the gospel to be central... It must be functional. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. You could also say it like this. In order for the gospel to be central, it must work for every area of life. So I came up with the super catchy title for you this morning. And the title is this, The Functional Centrality of the Gospel. That'll stick, right? (laughs) the the functional centrality of the gospel. And here is the plan. This is what I would like to do this morning. I want to look at three things today. First, I want to answer the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Then I want to look at a few gospel truths and their implications. And lastly, I want to look at gospel conduct. How does the gospel impact how we live? How does it affect and apply to everyday life in every area of life? So let's start here, and let me say this as a word of caution. Too many Christians think that the gospel is the message that we preach to non-Christians, which it is, but we fail to see the ongoing impact that the gospel is to make in the life of the Christian. Consider what these two guys have said about the importance of the gospel for those who call themselves Christians. John Stott said this, all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. C.J. Mahaney said this, this is on the screen, the gospel isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. I love that quote. Let me say that again. The gospel is in one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. At many places in my own life, and at many places in the body of Christ at large, The gospel is not central to people's theology, to people's thinking, or to people's behavior. And this morning, by God's grace, I want to challenge us in this, and I want to explore this together. Now, don't misunderstand the nature of this message. I am not here to challenge you, Christian, to share the gospel more. You should be doing that. But that is not the nature of this message what I want to see is I want us to explore the gospel more and see the radical connection that the gospel is to have in every area of our lives. In reality, or in short, I am here to encourage us to not lose our grasp on the gospel. Maybe this will be helpful, and I think it's there. Maybe this image will be helpful. Three circles. Is that, is that on the screen? Well, that was exciting. (laughs) Anticlimactic. Think of three concentric circles. The middle circle is the gospel. The middle circle is the gospel. It's at the center of everything, and it affects everything. Then the second circle are some doctrinal truths and their gospel implications. These are true for us, because the gospel is true. These are true, and these are things, truths that the gospel has granted to us. And finally, the last concentric circle is the gospel and its applications, how it should affect our conduct and how we live. So, the first thing is the gospel. As you go through the New Testament and as you go really through all of Scripture, what you see is the centrality of the gospel. Our text this morning was 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. What is the gospel? Look at what Paul says. For I delivered to you as the first importance. It is the most important thing. What is that thing that Christ died for our sins? The first thing, the main thing, the most important thing that he delivered to us was this. Christ died for our sins. Now, why was this so important to Paul? He told the Romans, Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you aware that besides the Son of God, who is the radiance of the glory of God, only the gospel is described as the power of God? The sun is not described this way. A powerful earthquake is not described this way. Nothing else is described this way, only the gospel. It was a first importance to Paul because it is a first importance to God. Jerry Bridges said this, The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only essential message in all of history. Yet, we allow thousands of professing Christians to live their entire lives without clearly understanding it and experiencing the joy of living by it. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this, When you preach, take your text and make a beeline for the cross. In other words, what he said is that the entire book of the Bible is detailing this one truth. This one truth of the gospel permeates through all other truths. All biblical and theological thought begins with the gospel. Here are some other passages from Paul. Galatians 6, 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world boast in nothing other than this. Paul had reason to boast in his intellect, in his training, in his heritage. But he considered the gospel of such value and such centrality that he would not boast in any other thing. He considered himself the chief of sinners and saw the gospel as the chief of all redemption. In Timothy's last letter from Paul, Paul told Timothy to guard this one truth. Guard it. You don't need a new truth. You need to guard that one truth, the gospel. In Timothy as well, 2 Timothy 2.8, he said this, Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Remember what? Jesus, raised from the dead. So, what is the gospel? I'm gonna give you four definitions. I'm gonna start from very, very simple to more and more wordy. You'll find this funny, I think. The first definition is this: Tim Keller said this. What is the gospel? Through Jesus, God saves sinners. Greg Gilbert uses four words to describe the gospel: God, we're all started. Man, we're sin entered christ who's the solution and we ought to respond god man christ responds john piper said this the gospel is the good news that christ jesus the son of god died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe but only everlasting joy that is the gospel I am in the middle of my seminary right now, and the dean of my school, Miguel Nunez, who is from the Dominican Republic, gave us a very wordy definition of the gospel, because you know what? Latinos, Hispanics, we like to talk. <laughs> so this, this is just wordy. But I love it. I translated it from Spanish to English. This is what Miguel Nunez said. Try to stay with me, okay? I'll go slow. It is the message of redemption the message of freedom carried carried out on the cross where God the Father crucified his son, where the son spilled his blood for the eternal forgiveness of our sins, with which the son was completely satisfying once and for all time the perfect justice of God, appeasing God's wrath against sinners and ending the enmity between God and man. God did this. Imputing my sins to his son and imputing or charging to my account, to my life, the holiness of Christ, his moral character, which assures my status of not guilty, before the father. This is the gospel. I told you it was wordy, but it was good. Like I said, what you see as you go through the New Testament and through all of scripture is a theological centrality of the gospel. All theological thought, all spiritual behavior take its skew from the gospel. The gospel is the centerpiece of all other doctrines. It is the main course. And so the gospel is to be central to all our understanding and all our living. So the gospel is at the very center of everything and it affects everything. The second implication that we have in those three concentric circles are some gospel truths. I want to give you a few gospel truths, a few doctrinal implications, and these doctrines are true because the gospel is true. In other words, without the gospel, these doctrines would not be true, and they are incredibly useful in changing and renewing the mind. This is just a sampling, not exhaustive, of what is granted to you and to me because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us. The gospel has accomplished these things on our behalf. The first thing is this: that now, because of Jesus, we have peace with God. Romans 5:1: "Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Notice it is that without justification. Without the gospel, without Jesus, we have no peace. We who were enemies of God, according to the Bible, have been brought to peace with God through Christ, through the gospel. Enemies are now made friends, aliens made family, strangers now seated at his table. The second thing that we are given because of the gospel is that we have been justified This is a big theological word that I want to just quickly try to make simple for you. Justification is the work of God declaring that he no longer sees us in our sin. That is great news. He sees us as holy, blameless, and righteous before him because of what? Jesus. Justification means this. God sees you in Christ as though you have never sinned and as you have always obeyed. Let that sink in. Let that renew your thinking. The third thing, we have access to God. Romans 5.2 Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. We have confident access to God We don't cower down in his presence any longer due to our sin. We come with humble boldness and confidence that he has paved through the blood of Jesus. Does your prayer life reflect the open access you have before the Father because of Jesus? The gospel should motivate our prayer life because access is granted. We can come before the God of the universe like having the access code to Fort Knox when it was full. We have access to God through our Lord Jesus. The fourth thing, there is no condemnation. Romans 8. One says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because of the gospel. Without the gospel, there is condemnation. From God, from ourselves, from others. Condemnation can come in many forms. The weight of not spending enough time with our spouse our kids, the weight of not getting done what we thought we should get done, the grief, shame, and mental distress of past failures, the frustration over not reading our Bible enough, not praying enough, not witnessing enough. This passage is for all of us who struggle under any type of condemnation. We don't have to go through this type of condemnation because the gospel is true. Now, you might be thinking, aren't I supposed to feel bad for the sins that I've committed? Well, yes. We are to be convicted of sin and feel a sense of godly sorrow. But there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is the feeling of guilt pointing us to our failure. Conviction is the feeling of guilt pointing us to the perfection of Jesus and His death on the cross. The struggle against sin is a constant reminder that we are believers. The struggle against sin reveals the Holy Spirit is working in our life. Jerry Bridges said this, One of the greatest blessings of living by grace The reality of the gospel is that because God no longer counts those sins against us, we can honestly face up to them and begin to mortify, put them to death with the aid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit work in our lives reveals the reality of the gospel in us. If I am not struggling with sin, then surely I am at rest with it and in danger of condemnation. Romans 7 gives a clear indication that there will be a struggle with sin. It's going to be a fight. But Romans 8 tells us that we are no longer to live under condemnation because we have been set free by Jesus Christ from the bondage of sin and we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. The next truth of the gospel grants us is that we are forgiven of our sin. Colossians 2.13 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. The power of the gospel is that God no longer recognizes or sees us in our sin." The blood of Christ has forgiven us of our sin and we are no longer enemies of God. God no longer brings our sin up to our account because he has forgiven it. Psalms 32 says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Isaiah 1 says this, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Our sins have been forgiven because of Jesus, because of the gospel. So the gospel is central, a central theme to how God sees us and is central to how we interact with God. The next thing that the gospel grants us is that our every need is met. Romans 8.32 says this. Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what motivates God to meet all of our needs? Giving up his son. Albert Barnes said this. His giving of his son is a proof that he will give us All things that we need. The argument is from the greater to the less. He that has given the greater gift will not withhold the less. Matthew Henry said, Can it be imagined that he should do the greater and not do the less? That he should give so great a gift for us when we were enemies and should deny us any good thing, now that through him we are friends and children. Thus may we by faith argue against our fear of need. These are just a few things, not exo- just a sampling of truths, of things that are granted to us because of Christ. Now the third circle in these three concentric circles is gospel conduct. Because the gospel is true, church, how should we live? This is a simple yet profound question. If the gospel is true, how should we live? How should it affect our life? We should live differently because of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. We so often think that once we are saved, then the gospel stops working in us. The reality is that all conduct and behavior of the Christian life flow from motivation from the gospel. I want to give you just a few examples, again, not exhaustive of how this is true. The first is our hospitality. Romans 15 verse 7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As Christ has welcomed you, welcome one another. Even those who are different than me, yes. Even those who think differently than I, yes. Even those who look different than me, yes. Why? Because of the gospel. You have been welcomed in. So welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. The next thing is forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiven forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you first know it is the command for us Christians to forgive and then notice the motivation as God in Christ forgave you how did God in Christ forgive you he forgave you fully he forgave you instantaneously he forgave you without us asking for it so then us as Christians we are to forgive others why because the gospel is true. And the gospel should affect how we live. This is a gospel issue. Forgiveness is a gospel issue. The third thing could be this. Kingdom focus. We should live our lives with a kingdom focus. Colossians 3.1 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Notice. Notice. Since you have been raised, then you are to set your sights on things that are above. So since the gospel is true and should be at work in us, we should have a kingdom mentality, a kingdom perspective. John Calvin said this, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way that we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. The next way that the gospel affects our conduct, how we live, is that we should have a zeal, a passion for good works. Titus 2.14 says this, He, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are we sellers for good works? Because of the gospel, we should have a passion for good works. We should have a zeal to do good works. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Other translations say it compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are compelled, because of Jesus, to no longer live for ourselves, but for him we should be passionate about doing good works. The next thing, that the gospel should, the next way it could affect our life is that we ought to excel in our giving. And this is where the room goes quiet. (laughs) Corinthians 8 says this, 2 Corinthians 8, but as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act also, the act of giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And notice the connection between the, the, with the Lord becoming poor for us. The gospel then gives us a motivation to be great givers. Our Lord gave himself. He was a great giver, and the gospel motivates us to be like him in everything. So if he gives, if he gave, we give. Matthew Henry said this, He was born in poor circumstances, lived a poor life, and died in poverty. And this was for our sakes, that we thereby might be made rich rich in the love and favor of God, rich in the blessings and promises of the new covenant, rich in the hopes of eternal life, being heirs of the kingdom. This is a good reason why we should be charitable to the poor out of what we have, because we ourselves live upon the charity of our Lord Jesus. The gospel should affect our marriage. Ephesians 5, husbands, love, your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As Christ loved you, you know what we do? We love our spouses. And how did he love us? He gave himself for us. He loved sacrificially. We do that. The gospel should also affect how we view race. Ephesians 2.14 says this, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The good news of Jesus has the power, is the only thing that has the power to break down racial and ethnic barriers. The gospel should affect every area of our life, even race. The gospel should affect relationships. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We, Christian, we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Therefore, we should pursue to be reconciled with each other. When necessary, we enter into conflict humbly, being willing to listen and have conversation. But the gospel affects relationships. The gospel affects how we view our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, For you were bought with a prize. Glorify God with your body. A few things that come to mind. Or sleep, how we eat, how active we are. Glorify God with those things. The next thing is, the gospel should transform our affections. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One of the remarkable applications from the gospel is that how? Is that the gospel literally changes our spiritual appetites. When Amanda and I were dating, Amanda and I, for like a year straight, listened to Rascal Flatts. Any country music fans? Nope. Nope. Well, she did. She loved it. And I made fun of her for like a year straight. We get in the car. It come right on. Blast it everywhere we go. And I, it it was torture. But then here's what happened. After like a year of me just being a total jerk and laughing at her and making fun of her. Rascal Flatts came out with a song that I was like, "Well, I kind of like that," (laughs) and then they came out with another song, and I was like, "Well, I kind of like that too." And then there was a third song, and then I thought, "Well, if I like them, surely I like other country artists." So then I expanded my repertoire of who I was listening to, (laughs) and then I bought some cowboy boots. It's true. She can. It's a true. This is a true story. Now, as funny as that is, this is exactly what the gospel is doing us. It is transforming our spiritual palate. It makes us go from never having tasted to enjoying the delicacies of heaven right here on earth. So we no longer know we need to forgive. We actually desire to forgive. We no longer know we need to love our wives like Christ loved his church. We desire to love our wives like that. We no longer feel angst over sharing the gospel. We long to share the gospel. Why? Because the gospel has transformed us and we want it to transform others. Jonathan Edwards said this. In other words... Only a divinely wrought inward change truly and lastingly motivates rebels to lay down their arms in glad obedience. God grants a new inclination. So all Christian conduct, all Christian behavior flows from the gospel. Because the gospel is true, then we, church, are to live a certain way. So what you have is the gospel at the center of life, permeating all that we are and do. And it affects the way we interact with God. It affects how we interact with each other and how we live each day. Because the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Let me explain that little phrase like this. The gospel changes everything. That means that we understand the staggering weight of what God did for us. The depth of our sinfulness and the height of God's mercy. That means we don't serve God in isolation. We join with the community of his church and we become family who lives to worship God together. That means we run from sin, from our selfishness, our gossip, our insecurity, our pride, our lust, our greed, our discontentment, our jealousy, and we repent in glory and grace. That means we cultivate disciplines, disciplines in our lives that make us more like Jesus, reading and memorizing his word, praying and sharing the good news of the glorious gospel with others. That means we grow in maturity through listening to biblically grounded sermons and soul-enriching music and reading books that inspire us to live kingdom-focused lives. That means we use our time in a way that is profitable, avoiding both laziness and sinful busyness and practicing self-denial. That means we foster relationships that will build up By rejoicing in our family, nurturing good friendships, and considering romantic relationships from God's perspective. That means we love God more and more each day. Every day we die a little, a little more to our old selves, and live a little more like Christ. That's why we are called Christians, because we are of Christ, for Christ with Christ, and in Christ alone. Let me just give you a few practical suggestions. How can you practically train yourself so that the gospel is central in your life? The first thing I would say is this. This may sound goofy, but it's not. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Make the gospel something that you remind yourself of every single day. You can do this through specific prayers, songs, specific scripture references. Remind yourself that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And let that be mesmerizing truth. It is mesmerizing. Let it affect you. Meditate on this truth and let it permeate who you are. Love the gospel. Secondly, take time to remember and review how the gospel has changed you. Be aware of grace at work in your life. You could ask yourself or try to fill in these blanks. I was once this, but now because of Jesus, I am this. Ask yourself regularly, where is the gospel on display in my life? So review, remember, let it affect you, and act. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to consider, consider this. The Bible says that you are separated from God because of your sin, and you're under God's judgment. The Bible says that Jesus died for sin and rose again from the dead in three days. And the Bible says that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. So if you're not a Christian, we would invite you this morning to begin the process of change from being a sinner and separated from God to a child of God with full access to God by believing in Christ as your Savior. So today... You can begin to review how the gospel has changed you because you've believed in Christ and have been saved from the wrath of God. Lastly, I would say that you should study, church, study other gospel applications. The list I gave you is not exhaustive, but rather it should just wet your palate a little bit for more gospel reality i three books to recommend for, for you this morning. The first one is this. C.J. Mahaney, The Cross-Centered Life. Little book, good read. W- uh, Bill Farley, William Farley, he's a pastor in Spokane, Hidden in the Gospel. Bill's a good friend of mine. This is a great book, Hidden in the Gospel. And lastly, I cannot say enough about this book. This book is written by a guy named Milton Vincent. He has a Puritan name, But he's not a Puritan. This book is called A Gospel Primer for Christians. This book is fantastic. This book is really, really good. So if you get any of those three, this is the the really, really good one. Okay? The other ones are good, but that one is really good. So when you study, read the scriptures, look for gospel. Take time to review the gospel and its applications to your life. And by the grace of God, by the grace of God, may we as a church for the rest of our days, may we be a church where the gospel is central. And that it permeates everything that we do, who we are. And may we be a people who live our lives in the functional centrality of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, would never be Just a trite little message that we know, that it would never just be too familiar or too common. But I pray that today, as we think about the gospel, as we think about what Christ has done for us, let it be mesmerizing. Let it affect us anew and again I pray that as we think of the gospel, God, may it affect and change how we live, how we relate to our spouses and our kids and our families and friends and coworkers and our neighbors and those who are different than us. May the gospel do that, God, the power of the gospel at work in this church, Lord. Help us to never, ever lose our grasp on the gospel let it be the centerpiece the main course of all that we do for the rest of our days every sermon, every song, every event everything that we do let it be drenched in gospel and I pray that many people would hear the gospel and come to faith in Christ Because of the gospel, many souls in Burian would come to know you, God. And from this body, may they also go and plant new faith families. Would you do that, God? We ask you. So as we sing this morning, as we respond with communion, may the songs, may the remembrance of your death through the bread and the wine, let it do something to us today, God. And if anybody here is not a Christian, may they see the beauty of Christ. And may they come to saving faith in him today. I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.